Before we start the show, I want to tell you about Serve HQ. Every church leader knows that having trained and engaged volunteers is essential to successfully accomplishing your mission. But if you're like most leaders, you also know how tricky it can be to onboard and equip your team. What if there was a resource to make it easier? Well, let me introduce you to Serve HQ. Serve HQ is simple video training courses that help you equip volunteers and develop leaders. You can create your own training or use their video library. You can even automate next steps to onboard new people quickly. Check it out at servehq.church and the link is in the show notes. That's servehq.church. You know, my pain has been one of the greatest teachers of my life. It truly has been one of the greatest teachers of my life and it's opened my eyes to see everything in a new light, in a new way. Um, the way I interact with other people, you know, it's like I had no idea that there were people walking around the grocery store, sitting on the sidelines of the soccer field that had unseen pain. When you become the person with the unseen pain, you realize that everybody's walking around carrying something. And oftentimes you can't see it. It's like the person that's yelling at the cash, cash person at the cash register at the grocery store, or the person that's driving crazy on the freeway. Like, we truly have no idea what anybody else is going through. But when we're handed our own prescription of pain, it really changes the way that we extend grace to other people. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season nine, episode three. We have today a really interesting guest. It's Kayla Steckline. And you may have heard of her because, um, well, her story and her husband's story was in the news. So thank you so much to our sponsors for making this episode possible. Serve HQ, train your ministry volunteers, leaders, and new members online fast and easy with Serve HQ. And then Compassion Canada, lifting children from poverty in Jesus' name and Scripture Untangled. If you like podcasts, you're going to want to check out this new podcast. More from our sponsors later. But for now, let me tell you about Kayla Steckling. She became an unexpected widow in August 2018 when her husband, Andrew, the pastor of their large mega church in California, well, he died by suicide. And with three young boys also grieving and a heart full of pain, full of grief, it became her mission to bring hope and help to others who faced unexpected hardships. So this is an important conversation. We're talking about mental health today. We're talking about suicide today, and we're talking about hope on the other side of it. I want you to lean in and listen to Kayla's insights, what she has to share from her own experience. And if this episode might help someone in your life, I encourage you to share it with them. Kayla Steckline, welcome to Word Made Digital. It's really an honor to have you on the podcast. I'm so grateful to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, we have probably, we got to go backwards before we can go forward. So maybe let's just start where, but let's start in the present. Um, where do you, where do you live and what's your life look like today? Yeah, I'm in Southern California. I'm in a small beach town called San Clemente, um, right by the ocean. It is like the dream place to raise kids, 75 degrees and sunny year round, and I'm mostly at the skate park and at the beach. I have three little boys. They're six, eight, and almost 10 years old. And so my days wow. are full and busy. I feel like time is just 
flying by. Um, I'm raising them on my own. I'm a single mom. I um, write books. I've written a couple books. I've got another book coming out in September called Rebuilding Beautiful. So in the little bits of time while they're at school, I'm writing and speaking and sharing and um, yeah, just taking it one day at a time. Yeah. Well, okay. Then let's, let's go backwards a little bit so that we can give some context to people. Some people may know you by your name or by your face because your family story really became like a national or even international story as the Christian community, you know, grieve with you over the loss of your husband. Um, so can you go back and tell us a little bit about that part of your story? And then we'd also love to hear, you know, what Andrew was like, but we'll get to, we'll, we'll get to that next. Perfect. Yes. So over four years ago, I was living the life of my dreams, like really, truly had everything I could have ever imagined. I was married mm-hmm. to handsome, successful stud. He was the lead pastor of our church, a thriving, growing, large mega church in Southern California. And I loved being a pastor's wife. Um, I loved being sitting in the front row on Sunday mornings and supporting him. And I would go and get him lunch and bring it back to his office. You know, like I, it was my world. He was my world. His identity was my identity. And I was a stay-at-home mom with our three boys. And I loved that too. I was finding meaning and purpose in that. And, um, just loved my life. We were living in a beautiful home. I had the beautiful mom car, you know, like all the things I had it. I loved it. It was amazing. If you would have asked me what my life would have looked like 30 years down the road, I could have confidently told you exactly what I thought my life was going to look like. And then my you were like quite literally living the dream as we're going to talk about dreams and the future. Like you, that was the dream. Yep. You were in it. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Married young, got married at 21. I started having kids at 23. So we were young, we were naive, (laughs) we were trying to lead this church and we were so young and learning so much, um, but learning together and loving it. And then he got sick, um, in the fall of 2017, he, You know, we had been through a lot. Um, His dad had wrestled with leukemia and ultimately passed away from his leukemia journey after a four-year battle of leukemia. And during that time was when my husband started taking over the church and more responsibilities. And his dad was the lead pastor, so he had passed off that responsibility to Andrew. And, you know, I think it all kind of just caught up with him and he Mm -hmm. burned out. He started having panic attacks and then it led to a depression diagnosis, which led to a sabbatical which led us to like looking to doctors and therapists and trying to get answers and trying to help him heal. And we thought he was getting better. We were doing everything we knew to do to help him. And we thought we all thought me and my family and the team of doctors all thought he was getting better. And he was released to go back to work in August of 2018 and hit the ground running. He wanted to talk about depression. He talked about his panic attacks. He was super vulnerable, really open. God was using him and then headed into the third weekend. He just had a major mental break and it was enough for us to see like, okay, maybe he wasn't ready to go back to work or maybe he still needs some time to heal or maybe we need to pursue some other avenues of healing. And so while we were away from him for just a little bit, you know, checking all our boxes, trying to get a guest speaker for Sunday, trying to, you know, figure out what the next steps would be for his healing. We were just away from him for just a little bit and he attempted suicide. And it was an absolute 
blind side. I mean, we knew that he was struggling, but we truly didn't understand how bad it really was. And so he was rushed to the hospital. They were able to get his heart to beat again. And God gave us the gift of one last day to lay with him, to pray over him, to play his favorite worship songs and just be with him and truly just say goodbye. And so on August 25th, 2018, he took his last breath. And with that, I took my first in this life I never saw coming as a widow at 29 years old with three little boys who were two, four and five years old. Yeah, I love how you say this, didn't see it coming. And as I know you've shared in other places, I've as I've been able to listen to some of your story, uh, you you did all the things. <laughs> Meaning you you were pursuing medical help and spiritual care. Like you were you were looking at the holistic care of of your husband and this just wasn't on the radar. I mean, he'd just gone back to work and and uh yet you, you know, here you are facing this, not just like the end of dreams, but really like a nightmare scenario. You know, what was, what was the first, you know, in some ways, I'm sure it was just such a fog, but you know, the first few months, um, as you're trying to find what's up, what's up and what's down and what's sideways, what was that like? Shock. You know, I think you hear about that, about people being in shock. Um, and we, I was truly in shock. I had no idea what had just hit me. You almost get energized by the shock because it's like all new and there's so much happening and you got to plan a memorial service and you got to make all these decisions. And I still have these three little boys that I'm like raising day in and day out. So the first few months, shock. And um, my mind just had nowhere to put it. And so the events of what happened would just circulate over and over and over and over and over. My therapist described it as having all these files, just like all these papers just spread all over my mind and my mind not having a file folder, not having a place to put them. And so, you know, as I healed, my mind came up with some file folders and was able to name and, and store away some of that, you know, initial trauma. But for the first few months, it was really just like sitting in what in the world just happened what in the world just happened and oh my gosh my life as I knew it is gone um so grappling grappling with like okay my life is never going to look the same and oh my gosh I have these three boys that are looking to me like what what are you gonna do mom what what are you gonna do next what are you gonna do now and I'm like asking myself what am I gonna do now what am I gonna I don't know So it was a lot. And my mind was just like replaying the suicide over and over and over and over and over and trying to come up with a million different ways in which I could have saved him. So when somebody dies by suicide, you know, there's a lot of regrets. There's a lot of could have, should have, would have. And I know for the first like three, four, five, six months, I was wrestling with a lot of that, with a lot of what could we have done or how, you know, how in the world did this happened. Just a bomb just exploded my life. And whoa, yeah. this is like, and it's like nothing, everything is touched. Everything, every right. part of my life, every little bit of my life was touched by death. Oh yeah. And I imagine in some ways it's, it's, uh, if the metaphor, if I can use like the, like a bomb going off or like a, even like a nuclear bomb, there's the initial destruction 
but then there's all these ripples that come days, weeks, months, years later. Like some of it, uh, you know, here we are, is it four years later now? Yeah, um, but it doesn't just, grief doesn't just go away. What have you learned? What are some of those things? Well, you know what, before we go there, can you tell us a little bit about Andrew? Yeah. Uh, what was he like? And what, you know, because you're, you're talking about the loss, but what did you lose? Who yeah. was he? Yeah. Oh, Andrew, <laughs> he was a complicated man, but an amazing, amazing man. Uh, we met, oh, goodness, I think I was 19 and he was 20. I was a sophomore in college and he was a junior and he the first initial thing that attracted me to him was that he was driven and passionate and focused mm. and not a lot of young men are driven and passionate and focused like that. And so that was very attractive. And like he knew where he was headed and I wanted to go with him. And so he knew he was called to ministry. He knew that, you know, he felt like he was going to do ministry for his entire life. And I mean, he did really he ended up doing ministry until the day he died. Um, but, and I like just loved, you know, I had grown up in the church and so that, that to me sounded like, okay, cool. Like I had the jackpot. He wants to be a pastor. He's a good man. Um, he was very serious. Um, not like a lighthearted, silly, funny guy, more of like a very serious, intentional, more melancholy. He would have been more, um, introverted than extroverted, which was probably unexpected because he was the lead pastor. He's the guy on stage telling the jokes and being loud and talking into a microphone. Um, but he was more private and more introverted and brilliant. Um, so brilliant. I mean, I was just, I remember telling him when we were dating, like you literally could, could do anything. Like you are so mm -hmm. smart and you like, just, you just have, you had that knack where it's like anything you touch turns to gold. You know, he's like wow. one of those people where it's just like he was going to be successful no matter what he did. And I was just in awe of that. I just thought that was just incredible. And so I loved him. Yeah, he was he was a great dad, very patient, uh, very kind, very gentle with the boys. Um, and there's something about his love of candy. I feel like you've told the story about him, like, his like midnight <laughs> snacks. Yeah, he loved candy. In the middle of the night, I would hear him pouring peanut butter M&Ms onto our comforter. You know, the sound of like <laughs> pouring M&Ms and he'd be laying in bed and just like nibbling on the peanut butter M&Ms. Yeah, so he had, you know, quirky, silly things like that that the boys and I like laugh about a lot. He loved robes and slippers. He loved to be comfortable. The first thing he would do when he got home from work was go, the boys would all follow him. They'd all go upstairs and he'd put on his pajamas and his robe and his slippers and so when he wasn't at work, he wanted to be home and be cozy and be with yeah. his family. He loved his family and served his family so well. Hmm. And yeah, and then of course, so much changed when he got sick. You know, he was so unwell for the last period of his life. Um, and can you help us because um, you, you've talked about the difference between the expression died by suicide or committed suicide. Yeah. Can you help us? Um, for those who maybe have older terms for that, help us understand what the difference is and how we should think uh, about suicide. Yes, that small change in language has been everything for me. I mean, it's been so helpful for me um, in so many ways. You know, our words are so powerful. Our words matter. The way we talk about things matters. Um, and I've just learned in my journey, like the way I grieve and the way I heal is modeling for my kids 
um, the way that they grieve and the way that they're going to heal and the way that they're going to look back and have empathy and compassion for their dad. And so even that small change in language can be so, so helpful. When we say the word committed suicide, all it does is heap shame and blame onto the shoulders of the person who died. That word committed Mm -hmm. is a word we attach to things like committed a crime or committed a sin or committed a murder. Like all it does is heap shame and blame. And so it just points the finger at the person instead of the illness. And so um, saying the phrase died by suicide instead of committed suicide might seem like a small thing, but it's huge. You know, it's like, I don't blame anybody for the suicide. I don't blame Andrew. I don't blame the doctors. I don't blame the therapist. I don't blame myself or my family or our friends. Like I see the suicide as a complete tragedy. I don't even think it was Andrew's fault. You know, I think it was a total tragedy and nobody is to blame. And it's just as tragic as any other tragic accident. I often describe his suicide, um, like a child drowning in a swimming pool at a birthday party. Like he was literally Mm. surrounded by people who loved him, who, if, if we knew he was drowning, we would have jumped in the water and saved him. We just truly had no idea how bad his pain really was. We had no idea. I want to pause the conversation with Kayla because especially in times of grief, struggle, confusion, the Bible can feel overwhelming and add to our confusion. It might even feel hard to believe. Scripture Untangled is a new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society, and it's bringing you interviews with culture leaders, leaders in ministry, and Bible thinkers to help you be inspired to dive into the Bible and understand it. Listen for free and subscribe to Scripture Untangled on your preferred podcast app. And of course, that I, that's such a, a poignant analogy, I think, because if he could have saved himself like a child yeah. in a pool, they would have. They didn't want to be there. You know, everything went not like the way anybody wanted it to go. And so help us understand um, grief. What have you learned? I mean, I know I've shared some on this podcast about grief in my own life and things in my family. And, and, and so... I, I feel in some ways familiar with with grief as an idea, as something you, as I've lived it, I've learned about it. So, uh, tell us about what you have learned about grief, because it's probably not what you think it's going to be from the movies. <laughs> yeah, I was explaining to a friend this morning on the phone. You know, I'm coming up on the four year anniversary tomorrow, and the mm. next day it's really a two day deal for me, twenty um, fourth and the twenty fifth, and so. Um, I was explaining to her how it's like grief, my pain and my grief is like this living, breathing thing with a mind of its own and a mood of its own. And like, just when I think I've learned how to live with the pain, because that's what, that's what grieving is. It's not getting rid of the pain. It's not moving on or beyond the pain. It's like learning how to invite the pain and welcome Mm. the pain and embrace the pain and learning how to live with it because it's something that's going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life, for my life and my boy's life, that awful, terrible, horrific thing that happened where our life was just like split into the life with Andrew and the life without Andrew. 
um, that's going to keep moving forward with me for the rest of my life. And it, and it, and it can be at times, like, I think I have a, you know, a handle on it. I think I've done the work and I think I've done the hard work of healing and I've done the therapy and I've like, you know, sat with friends and I welcomed the pain and I've read the books and I've journaled and I've written two books, you know, like you, you think you've done the work and then the waves just come and mm. take your breath away just tomorrow. Yet just yesterday um, morning, I was sitting on my couch and I was just weeping, you know, just missing mm. him. And, and the thing that I was grieving was a thing that I hadn't grieved yet. Um, it was the loss of a best friend. And I specifically hadn't grieved that yet. And so I think there's just mm. so many layers to grief. And I think the best thing that I've been able to do for my grief has been to give it to, room to breathe. Um, and just to give it space and to not expect anything from it, to not put expectations on myself, to not force myself. No timeline. No timeline, not force myself into a feeling, you know, it can be easy to think like on certain days, like, like tomorrow, like the anniversary days to feel like I need to feel a certain way. Uh, when instead it's just like, you know what, I just need to welcome what is and feel what I need to feel and let my grief lead me in some ways and show me and teach me. You know, my pain has been one of the greatest teachers of my life. It truly has been one of the greatest teachers of my life. And it's opened my eyes to see everything in a new light, in a new way. Um, the way I interact with other people, you know, it's like I had no idea that there were people walking around the grocery store, sitting on the sidelines of the soccer field that had unseen pain. When you become the person with the unseen pain, you realize that everybody's walking around carrying something. And oftentimes you can't see it. It's like the person that's yelling at the cash person at the cash register at the grocery store, the person that's driving crazy on the freeway. Like we truly have no idea what anybody else is going through. But when we're handed our own prescription of pain, it really changes the way that we extend grace to other people. And so that's been one of the biggest lessons and gifts to me in my grief. So my pain and my grief is awful, terrible, horrible, wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it's also been one of the most uh, beautiful, incredible teachers um, of my life. Wow. Yeah. And I think in many ways, you know, being a, a younger person going through great pain, I think pain comes for us all at one time or another. I mean, there is pain in life, uh, different mounts of it, different directions of it, but um, to go through it at, you, you can't know it until you go through it. And to go through it at 30, it's like you have <laughs> the wisdom and experience of someone who's 60, 70, 80, 90 years old in this piece of who you are now. This, As you say, that insight into the compassion you have now for the person on the sidelines of the soccer field, uh, realizing wow, like what is everybody going through and how did, how are they carrying it? You talk in your book about um, steps of process, five steps of processing your pain. Can you, if you, maybe we don't have time for all of them, yeah. but can you talk to us a little bit about, um, as you write in your latest book, about your, ex- your sort of lived expertise of going through the process of pain? Yeah, it has been such a gift to me to be able to write this book and the title of the book is called rebuilding beautiful and it really um those words came out of a conversation that i had with one of my friends where i was sitting on my front porch swing at the house i used to live before this house and i was explaining to her how i had this beautiful life like i like i explained to you i really truly had everything i could have ever wanted and more 
And it's like that whole life died with Andrew and I was handed this brand new life that I never saw coming. And I deeply wanted to believe that this brand new life could still be beautiful. And then I said these words to her. I said, it's as if I'm rebuilding beautiful. And when I said that, I was like, whoa, this is like, yes, yes. You know, like that's what I'm doing. I'm rebuilding beautiful and it's going to be a completely different version of beautiful than it was before. It's never going to be the same. It can't ever be the same, but it can still be beautiful. So that hope, you know, it's like that anthem of hope and moving forward for me has been rebuilding beautiful. And it's been cool as I've shared that phrase, other people have adapted it for themselves in their own journey. Um, But as I was writing and dreaming up this book and sitting with, you know, the book proposal and trying to figure out like, how can I explain this process that I've been going through the last four years, like how can I put words to my journey? And as I was sitting and thinking about it, those five processes are kind of what was birthed out of that. And those five processes for me have been embrace, heal, explore, dream, and live. And so embrace um, simply means just embracing our pain, welcoming what is, um, going to therapy, sitting with friends, embracing community, um, giving our pain a big, warm hug. And even though it's jagged and it's sharp and it's going to hurt like hell, that's the only way through. There's no way over or around or under. Like the only way through is to embrace it and let the pain work through you. And so... The chapters are all little standalone chapters. It was so fun to write. It was so different. And so that's embrace, heals, like doing the hard work of healing and and sitting with our trauma. And I have a whole chapter about befriending death. What does it look like to befriend Hmm. death? What does it look like to welcome death? You know, because it's one of those things, especially in our Western culture, that we don't like to talk about. I share uh, this conversation that I had with the mom on the sidelines of the soccer field where she was asking me where my husband was. And I was like, oh, he, he passed away. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then she literally turned to the girl next to her and so was like, how was your vacation to Mexico? <laughs> like, we just don't know how to talk <laughs> oh, wow. about death oh. or embrace death or welcome yeah. death in order to heal. We need to. Um, embrace, heal, explore. And then explore is just like the fun part, you know, it's like where you start to see that this brand new world that you've entered has something to offer you. It's where you start to step out where you're kind of, you've gone through the pain, you've gone through some years, you've done some therapy, you've done some hard work of healing, you've sat with other people who've shared your pain with you and it's been lifted and it's maybe lighter and you're like able to see like, okay, there's more life ahead of me. My life isn't over. Yes, this person that I loved or really it can be for anything. It's like loss of a job or loss of a dream or loss of a career, new season of life, whatever it may be. You know, I think all of us go through rebuilding seasons where life doesn't look the way we thought it was going to look or there's not the same people in our life that we thought were going to be in our life for the long run. And so the explorer piece is just like the fun, the fun piece of it, of, of rediscovering our identity. For me, it's been, you know, so much of my identity was wrapped up in who Andrew was. And so I've had to sit and ask myself, like, who am I now that he's gone? What, what are the things that like bring me life? What are the things that I enjoy to do? What are the gifts God's given me? And like exploring those things and being willing to try new things and being willing to fail, you know, at some of those things and succeed at things that might surprise you. Uh, for me too, you know, the explore piece has been like, I actually physically 
doing stuff. Like I, I took on skateboarding with my boys. I, ah, no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm falling a ton. Cool. I am not very good. I've fallen a ton. I have like scars that show my I, wounds from falling. You know, just, just as a note, just cause I just saw it, it was on Instagram or TikTok. I saw this 31 year old mom who said I started skateboarding eight months ago and like she's posting videos of like that learning process of learning a new thing I don't know the background story on that woman yeah. but I love that that like even like a thing that oh no that's for kids like no like to have the humility to say I'm gonna try I'm gonna try yeah. a new thing that I might yeah. be bad at and that's part of the new life you know it's like this the life that I'm living today is a brand new life a completely different life than I was living when Andrew was alive and so part of the new life is like exploring new opportunities and trying new things that I would have maybe never tried before it's making a fool of yourself sometimes too when you're at the skate park and you're dropping in and you're falling on your you know completely like superman on the ground <laughs> and the kids are all laughing at you like it's not always gonna be fun and it's gonna yeah. hurt sometimes but it's been such a journey um and the last two sections are just dream and then live mm. and, and dream of course, is just like, what are those dreams that you have for your life? What are those, those dreams that are awakening within you? You've done the hard work of healing. You've explored your new, your new world. And now where do you want to go? You know, what are, what are those dreams that God is planting in your heart? What are those seeds that God is planting in your heart? And what are you going to do about it? So taking action on those dreams and trying new things um, and, and, and pushing through a lot of fear, you know, for me in our story, one of those dreams was to move and it was the most hmm. terrifying thing. I moved two years ago and I had just you moved out of like out of your family home of, that you had of, with Andrew. No, I've moved so many times. I think I've moved probably 11 times in the last 10 years, like a ridiculous oh, amount okay. of times. We had just moved into a new home right before he passed away. It was way too big to handle. So after he passed away, we moved in with a mother-in-law then we moved into a different house and then I had just remodeled and fixed up that house, probably there for a year and a half, but it was still within the same city where right. we were. Leading oh, the, I see. I understand. Where we were leading the church, where we were raising our family. And so I was bumping into my grief everywhere. I mean, I couldn't even huh. go to the grocery store without passing the cemetery. I would pass places we used to go on date night all the time. I would bump into people at the school my boys were going to who used to go to our church. And like, I was just, I felt like I was seen as this like sad widow, you know, and I felt like my identity was being uh, formed for me. And I felt right. like for my boys, their story was just going to follow them for the rest of their lives. If we kept living there, people were going to be telling their story for them. And making all kinds of assumptions before yeah. you have a proper conversation. Exactly. How are you doing? Yeah. Let me like, you know, and yeah, I can totally preach. So you moved like so away. So moved. So I'm like, you know what? We can't live here. And I just felt this stirring wow. in me that like I had reached um, how far I was able to heal there. Like I had done the work of healing there. It was, it was great to be close to the cemetery when I needed to be close to the cemetery and be there and sit there. It was great to be with that community when we were all grieving together. And I kind of reached the point where I was like, I need the next, what's the next step in my, in my healing journey. And the next step for us, not for everybody, but for us was to move. And I was terrified. I mean, I really had to push through a lot of fear to walk away from a life that like our house was paid off. My boys were going to private school. My dad was up the street. Grandma's down the other street. Our friends and family are there. And to choose to say like, this is good and this, this could work and I could stay here and I could raise my kids here and this could probably be fine. 
but is this the, this is this God's best for me? Is this what I feel like is God's best for me? And I just really felt this stirring, like, no, we got to go. And it was during 2020. And so my kids were already pulled out of school anyway. And I'm like, if, if we're going to go, like now is the time to do it. And hmm. so we moved to the beach um, and it's been one of the most healing, the best thing I could have ever done for me and my kids was to have a fresh start where we get to, we get back the power of our story. I gave my boys back the power of their story by moving and that they get to share. And I get to share our story on our own terms when we want to, right. with who we want to, it's not being told. And if you don't us. want to, they don't already know it. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And then also just like having the outdoor lifestyle that we have here too. Like we're just outside. We're at the beach. My boys are avid skaters. So we're at the skate park all the time where we have made so many friends. We have even more community than we had where we lived before. Like mm-hmm. God has just totally blessed us. And we bought this little fixer upper. And so it was, fun to write about in the book too like we we've been fixing up our house together me and my boys we've been knocking out walls and ripping out floors and remodeling the kitchen and remodeling the bathrooms and I got a collection of power tools now and they've been able to be part of the process I have videos of them literally kicking through drywall and pulling out flooring and knocking out tiles so it's been a really cool metaphor for like we're rebuilding our life and we're literally rebuilding our house and there's just so many parallels that have been so beautiful. So it's a lot. The book is a lot of different things. They're all different standalone chapters. Um, but you know, it's like those five things are the things that have been so healing and so helpful for me, like going through each of those processes. And I think it's something that, you know, we're always going to be growing and changing and we're always curveballs are going to keep coming. And so it's like, it's not just a one-time thing and it's not um, you're not trying to arrive anywhere. It's like, I'm, I'm going to always be rebuilding my life. I'm going to always be rebuilding beautiful. The boys are going to get older. There's going to be different seasons of life. And so, um, yeah, it's just like, this is just all part of the journey. Pausing the story with Kayla to talk about this idea of transformation. As Kayla's talking about this transformation from the inside out, we see that this word transformation, it can feel like a buzzword, but what does it really look like? Well, one place transformation is so evident is in the stories of former Compassion sponsored children, graduates or alumni of the Compassion program who are now adults telling their stories of how sponsorship impacted them. Like Eric, who was in the program in Uganda. Compassion became a part of Eric's life right when his family needed it most. His father, the family's only breadwinner, had suddenly passed away. Others had taken the rest of their money and they had nothing. Eric describes it this way. You consider yourself a nobody. You have nothing. And then you receive news that someone is coming. This was a life-changing story for Eric. The evidence of his sponsor Dorothy's impact on his life is so evident. They're still in touch today. Child sponsorship transforms lives and you can find Eric's full story and learn how to sponsor a child yourself at compassion.ca slash if dash only. The link will be in the show notes. What strikes me as you talk is, is it sounds like you have multiple full-time jobs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and uh, there's the job of mom and single mom, and there's the job of your writing, which is, you know, why we're able to have a conversation today. And then there's this, what I would suggest sounds like more than a full-time job when you're talking about giving space for your grief, doing the work, going to therapy, um, letting things come as they come in terms of decision. And then you're also renovating a house. Maybe that's a whole other job. Uh, 
I'm not even sure what the question is, but just to, to comment and maybe validate for other people that it's a lot of work, what you're describing. Yeah. Um, and, and I see that you're talking about the fruits of willing, being willing to do the work and yeah. not shove it down yeah. uh, or not shove it aside. And, and in some, sometimes we're forced to deal with it and other times, other types of grief, other types of change we can kind of put off for a while. Um, I mean, and it can feel overwhelming, of course, but, but I also hear you talking about how at least now you aren't stuck. There is like a forward motion and a momentum. That doesn't mean there aren't bad days yep. or bad moments uh, where you feel stuck. What do I do now? Um, but, but what, what do you do to get unstuck? Because there are so many people listening who feel like they've done some work. They see all the work ahead of them that they need to do. They're trying to give space for grief, but it is a full-time job. And they're also just trying to like keep their job or their family intact or whatever they're trying. Like it is overwhelming to have these unpaid labors <laughs> that you have to do. So how do you, what would you say to people who feel sort of stuck in the middle of all those uh, jobs? Yeah, I would say grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a lot. My life is a lot. And the things I just described is a lot. And there are days where it's utterly overwhelming. I mean, even just raising three boys as a single mom is alone is utterly overwhelming. Um, I think, you know, one of the best things that I've been able to do is to um, create some space to have some time just by myself. Um, one of the biggest gifts I've given myself in the last four years has been just a couple times, not a lot. I know it can be hard for people to get away, but to get away for a weekend or for like two or three days and maybe you use somebody's cabin or maybe you go stay in your parents' spare bedroom or whatever and just like go get quiet for a little bit. Mm. Go get quiet. Maybe even it's at, it's at your own house while your kids are at school and you take a day off work. Like, go get quiet for a little bit and listen to what God's trying to do in your life. And journal and sit and pray and ask God to give you a vision for your life. Like, what, where do you, what, what do you want me to do with this, God? You, you allowed me to go through this. You allowed this pain to be filtered through your hands. You've, um, given me, you know, this message or this story, like, what do you have for me? What, what do you want me to do with this? I don't know what to do, but I trust you. And I pray that you would open up doors and that you would show me, you know, where to go and what's the next move. And I truly believe that you will. And for us, you know, that's, I've just been following God's lead the whole way through. And we are where we are today because I've been walking with God in our healing journey. And I've listened to those like promptings from the Holy Spirit, even when they've scared the snot out of me, like you need to move. Okay, we'll move, but I'm terrified. Or you need to write this book. Okay, but what am I even going to write about? You know, like all these things that you're like, okay, God, I don't know how, I don't know who it's going to involve. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but I feel like you're stirring this new dream or this vision or this new life. Like, Help me, tell me to figure out how to get there. Um, and I, mm -hmm. I'm just confidently, I confident, confidently believe he will because he has in my life. He'll show you the way if you feel like you're stuck. You know, in this, I'm struck by what you're saying because we're living in this era of deconstruction is the big word and criticism of the church. Some of it very appropriate. Um, there's stuff that should be criticized and should be torn down to build something different, like to be maybe to rebuild beautiful in the whole church, yeah. if I could say. Yeah. But in this area for you, um, around your faith, 
Um, how has how has your view of God changed or expanded yeah. uh, in the last few years? Totally expanded. Um, I think that I, as a pastor's wife, young, naive pastor's wife, very proud pastor's wife, thought that I had all the answers. You know, I thought that I needed to be the person that had all the answers. I felt like I needed to be the person that had the strong faith. And um, I really felt like I did. You know, I literally was up at 430 every morning in my Bible journaling, like before the sun came up, like it was my world and it was my life. And I was like, I'm going to, you know, I got this. I got a grip on all of this. (laughs) And then then Andrew died and I'm like, oh my gosh, even, even during the depression journey, you know, as a crying out to God, like, where are you God? And why are you allowing this? And why aren't you fixing this? And then what suicide? Like really, like you go through this whole journey with depression and then you're going to end it in suicide like seriously so it's been a wrestle you know it's totally been a wrestle with God um but even from the very very beginning right after Andrew passed away kind of went from where are you God in this journey with depression to literally God is everywhere it felt like it was just Mm -hmm. like that verse the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and comforts those who are crushed in spirit like he was so close I felt so close. I had my, some of my best friends that I was sitting and having coffee with and sharing this season of life with. Um, I remember them saying to me, like, Kayla, I've never seen the hand of God. Like I've seen the hand of God in your pain. Um, he was just providing wow. for us and taking care of us in little teeny small ways and big, massive ways. I mean, little ways that my boys could see and understand. Like the day that I told them their dad died, we sat and colored in this coloring book, me and my oldest son. And the very first page of the coloring book was a life cycle of a caterpillar. So I had a caterpillar and a cocoon and a butterfly and we're sitting and we're coloring and it's time for the kids to take a nap. So we put the coloring book away. I go to close the curtains and right where I put my hands on the curtains is this little tiny green caterpillar. And I like, don't touch bugs. But I was like, I have to grab this bugs. I grab the caterpillar and I show my son Smith who I was just coloring with and talking about caterpillars with. And without skipping a beat, he goes, mom, it's a miracle from God. So like little tiny, silly caterpillars to like, huge, you know, financial blessings. He died by suicide. So there's no life insurance. He was a pastor. So he opted out of social security. So like, you know, we were not in a good place and like God just has provided above and beyond in so many ways for us in huge, huge, huge ways and in little teeny tiny ways. And so I've just surrendered my plans to him and what I thought my life was going to look like. And I've just been trusting and wrestling, um, along the way. And I honestly, like, I think what's happened for me in my faith is I went from feeling like I needed to have all the answers to coming to a place where it's like, I can actually just sit back in the awe and mystery of it all of like, actually none of us have all the answers. <laughs> if you have all the right. answers, like you're probably not doing it right. Like none of us. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're definitely not doing yeah. it right. If you have all the answers. None of us have all yeah. the answers. We yeah. know just a little, even the Bible says that we know just a little, you know, it's like, we don't know anything. And so I think for me, the posture in my grief journey has just been kind of sitting back in awe and, and mystery of it all and just surrendering over and over and over and over and over again when I don't know what I'm going to do next or I don't know what you know what it looks like when I when I moved I didn't know what that that new life was going to look like or if we were going to be able to afford it it's like just surrendering that of like I feel like this is what you're leading me to God and I trust you I trust Mm -hmm. you I trust you I trust you over and over again you've been good 
You have been faithful. I know that a life with you is better than a life without you. Like, I trust you. I'm in it. I look to you. And he's been so good to us. I mean, really, wow. truly, he has been so good to us and, and provided for us and taken care of us every step of the way. I mean, I, I used to be hearing the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, playing uh, as you describe how God has been so good. When we think of the church and um, the people listening who are uh, part of churches, and so they're, they are the church, the, the institution and the people, what are some things, you know, what what can we do, you know, if we're the person listening who isn't in the moment stuck, isn't in the mi- moment of trying to rebuild, we're, we're trying to support others. I'm sure there's some things that like the things you shouldn't say, like the mom at the soccer field who just turns away from you, <laughs> like right after you share something, like doesn't know what to say, so just stops. Um, you know, what are some some ways that you think have been helpful or that even as you talk to others, maybe who've gone through this, what are some of those things that whether the church, the people or the church, the institution can do to support people going through huge grief like this? Mm-hmm. I think it's staying away from the Christian platitudes, you know, like God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Like some of those silly things that are just not true. Like God absolutely yeah. gave me more than I could handle. <laughs> so and like try- not like out of context, mm-hmm. quoting out of context. Yeah. I feel like sometimes we think that we need to have something to say. We think we need to have all the right words. We need to come with an agenda. We need to have the right Bible verses written down. We need to like write a, a note that's powerful and meaningful. That's going to help and heal and change their life. And it's like, actually, all that I needed in my grief journey was my friend's presence was just presence. Mm. I didn't need the right words. I didn't need the perfect prayer. I didn't need the platitudes. Like all I needed was presence. And there were these moments with my friends, one in particular, the very, very beginning, I'll never forget it because it was just so powerful. The very beginning of my grief journey, I had just gotten done putting the kids to bed and one of my friends was over And I came out to the living room and I just collapsed on the floor, just totally just collapsed in grief. I was overwhelmed. Like, how am I going to raise these three kids by myself? And totally collapsed on the floor and was just weeping. And my friend came over and she just laid on top of me and held me and wept with me. And that spoke more than any word she could ever say. And so, you know, I think what what people need when they're going through hard stuff is presence and they need presence for the long term. They need your presence mm-hmm. a week in, a month in, a year in, and they need your presence four years in, five years in, six years in. Um, your life may have gone back to normal, but their life will never be the same. And so just remembering um, your friends that are grieving down the road, just as you loved them and remembered them from the very beginning. And I have friends that have done that for me that and had two friends that called me this morning that were like, I know it's a really hard week. How can we support you and be there with you? And what can we do to serve you? And I think that is one of the most powerful questions we can ask people too that are hurting. Like, what can I do to serve you? How can I serve you? How can I serve your family? And if they don't answer the question, then answer it for them. You know, send a pizza, DoorDash a pizza. Like, it doesn't have to be like complicated. Like when you have little kids, especially like drop off some groceries. We, I go through groceries so Get fast. Get some Nerf guns. Yeah. <laughs> drop off some toys that are going to like entertain the kids for a couple hours. Um, yeah. Come, Offer to get the kids from school. I'm never going to turn that down. You know, there's practical ways you can love and support people. And it doesn't always have to be with having all the right things to say. 
Reminds me of, uh, there's a really briefly, there's a, st- a psychological study where a person has to carry this huge backpack of weight and they're standing at the bottom of some big hill or mountain that they're expecting, like, they're okay, like, we're going to, you're going to climb this mountain. And they're asked to estimate how difficult it will be. And, you know, it's going to be very difficult. They've got this huge weight on their back. And then the only thing that the study changes is they get a friend to stand beside them who's going to climb the mountain with them, not carry the bag, Mm. just climb with them. And the study showed over and over that the estimate of how difficult and how high, how difficult the journey and how high the mountain was, like went down by like more than like, like not even just half, like it was like 10% of their initial, of their first guess. Um, because they knew that their friend was going to be beside them the whole time. I have chills. And I think that's, and that's sounds like what you're describing, yeah. that when you don't have the words, you can't carry the load all the time, but just the, the presence of people who loved you, loved your kids. I loved Andrew, uh, loved God to be with you. Um, Kayla, if, if people want to find you, I know you're active on socials, uh, and want to find your book. Where do you, where do you want to send people today? Yeah. Instagram is the best place to follow along. Um, my Instagram handles Kayla Steck, my website's kaylasteckline.com and the book is available almost everywhere books are sold. You can find it on Amazon. I think it's going to be at Target, Barnes Noble. So Kayla, thank you so much, you know, for, for sharing your story. I can imagine there are days where this feels easy to talk about and days this feels, you know, very difficult to share. So thank you so much for your time and, and what you're doing as a, you know, an unexpected advocate for grief, for loss, um, for suicide prevention. Um, And we're going to leave links to all of that in the show notes as well. If people are struggling, if they know someone who's struggling, we're going to send some resources as well so people can, can get help and hope. Thank you so much, Kayla. Thanks for having me. It's been a joy. Well, thank you so much to Kayla for sharing her story. Next week on the podcast, we have Tyler Staten. He's the pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland. And you may know the church because he's actually the successor to John Mark Comer and now the lead pastor there. So look forward to diving in with him and his latest book next week. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Compassion Canada is back, lifting children from poverty. The new podcast, Scripture Untangled. You got to go check it out and serve HQ. Train your ministry volunteers, leaders, and new members online fast and easy with ServeHQ. The links to all of our sponsors, all of our resources are down in the show notes, but we'll see you on the YouTube channel. We've got all kinds of back catalogs of podcasts, tutorials coming out every week, and we'd love to catch up with you in the Digital Church Facebook group. If you want to interact, you want to ask questions, maybe you want to find a job, post a job, we'd love to see you there and see you next week with Tyler State.